Tina Kata Katoa, Katie Mehiki Tirungarawa, Katie Mehiki Tifinua, Katie Mehiki Arato Ma, Katie Mehiki Atato Katoa. Homie, who ye Taki. Oh, e tupu aki o ki taranaki. Lord Ada, Katie Mehia to oak, Katie Monga Taranaki. Mete awa waitara, e manaki nei iahu. Me mihi katika kiti iwi o te ati awa. E mihi ana ki na tohu o nehe o waikato e noho nei au. Ko aidana rawa tinimaka o kutupuna, ko te tiriti o waitangi to kuturanga waiwai, ko te tiriti te iwi hoki. Ko Finnegan toku whānau, ko Ben toku hoarangatira, ko Hena ahau, o reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Doesn't matter how long you've been around, the nerves will always visit, hey? Uh, <laughs> and I think, I was thinking about it, doesn't matter, even like today, it feels like a familiar crowd, of our whānau, and I know there's a few manuhiri with us, and I welcome you warmly. I think that actually makes it worse. <laughs> my prayer this morning was like, God, don't make me be a fool of myself in front of my friends. <laughs> um, but uh, as I have thought and prayed into today, I think what stands out, or what I remember is, I've really just been buzzing on baby Jesus. So that is what I bring today with me, is my buzzing out on baby Jesus uh, and the gift that he was, that he is in our lives. Uh, so it's my privilege and the nerves will fade, I'm sure. I do want to, like, before we jump into our co-papa, I do want to acknowledge the previous speakers we've had, even, in, even though different co-papa, but through the year I think there's been a real like leading into this for me. Um, I even mihi back to Lance and her speaking um, on Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori. Um, Fraser and Vince have talked about um, generational experiences we've had, but mostly, I guess, there are all these diverse kaupapa, but in there, I've just been really set in the truth that we are also transformed by the gift of Jesus, that he changes our reality systemically, intergenerationally. And so it's exciting to me that we get to come into this season, and anticipate the arrival of that gift that is Jesus. So that's where we start today. Um, and I, I, I got to speak last year on Tāria Nahitiariki, and I love it. I love the chance to dwell on the birth of Jesus. I think in the past, probably got too rushy, too influenced by external forces and presents and everything else that comes with Christmas. But the story of God becoming human, a human, a vulnerable little baby, 
is pretty incredible. And the key goal that I have today is to take one particular element of that story, quite an unusual one, and bring it to life, that we might go from the abstract, which is where I kind of live, so hopefully this works, <laughs> um, but bring it to the imaginable and the tangible. And Because it's really important to me that the story is relevant to us. Um, I think that's kind of the whole point, that God sent his son to be among us, to be one of us, that the divineness of God became a real part of our lives. <laughs> one of the ways that I have tried to do this uh, is to engage our senses. And some of you might have noticed um, the diffusers on either side. As with most of my great ideas, it only half works. <laughs> so you may or may not smell that, that's fine. Um, but what in there is I will talk to some of the, the gifts that were given to Jesus and it is my hope that if you don't smell it yet, that afterwards you might go up and, and have a smell and engage with your, your ihu, your senses, um, so that that becomes more of a real thing for you. Come on, come by. All right. Oh, we do have a slide. Awesome. So far, I have never mastered this thing, but... Yes, this is a time for learning. Cool. So, as I said, I want to focus on quite a specific part of the story of Jesus. And as we, I'm enjoying how other people have done this pre previously, but Etu um, Fano, we're going to read our scripture and stand for today. Bit of a long one. Matthew 2, 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the spot had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to him so that I may go and worship him. And we're going to pause. Great work. Kapai. Um, and we're going to come to the next part. Um, yeah. In no. I love that. I wasn't expecting everyone to read it with me, and it, it's, it adds to it. I love it. Thank you. Um, so the context of this story, and I've kind of stopped us partway through, but before this, 
It has already happened. God turning up to Mary and or Joseph, depending what gospel you read, warning them, giving them a dream that they're going to be a really big part in his grand story, that Mary's going to become pregnant, even though she's a virgin, that to Joseph, still marry her, look after her. You're probably confused and you don't know what's happening, but go with it. I've got a plan. And he tells them that Mary is going to miraculously have a baby that saves the world. Such a buzzy sequence of events to get your head around. And then they have to leave town, heavily pregnant, and she ends up having the baby in a barn with the animals. It is a very unusual story. Again, why I like coming back to it. So this has all happened before this. And then it's probably like a year, maybe two years later, baby Jesus is, I guess, more of a toddler, most people think, um, your most scholars think. And the, the magi, magi, different ways <laughs> I've heard you can say it, have come looking for him. They've seen a star and they're wondering about this new Jesus. But who koana magi, maki in the Tiberius? Who are these guys? Who are these magi? Well, I, this was real fun to dig into because there's this whole picture of what we think they are: three wise kings, three wise men, and then when you step back, it looks a bit different. So there's lots of. Is this going to work? Next slide. Lots of different depictions, pictures, people have painted throughout history. This one over here is real famous, and the guy just like painted lots of rich people's faces in there, kind of, you know, like winning some favour. Um, and there was this idea that they were kings. There was much opulence that um, they'd come from far away um, to see Jesus. Now, where had they come from? Still not really sure. I guess the passage talks about they came from the east, and that's about as far as we know. Some people say that might have been Persia. This is east of Israel at the time. Persia, some say Babylon, some say Arabia, based on what the gifts were. But it could have been all of those. Point was, it was outside of Israel, they were foreigners. They were from a foreign land. Their role, what even were they? What's a magi? Now, again, there's kind of, it's been interpreted as a king. There's lots of different references and culture to the magi were. Um, some places they thought they were sometimes like a Persian priest. Sometimes they were a Babylonian astronomer, astrologer watching the stars. Um, in Daniel, it talks about how the Magi advised the king that they were wise and kind of in touch with what was happening. And I even thought of the concept or, or wondered how it might link with the idea of a tohuna, of this expert who is, like it's a, a, a big term that applies to many different 
um, ex- areas of expertise, but that it's someone that these people were connected to a spiritual story that they helped or input into their community, and they were in touch with nature or what they were watching the stars. That was very clear. Funnily enough, we always talk about three wise men, but there wasn't necessarily three. Some think there were two. Some think there might have been 12. (laughs) 400 years ago, a pope said three, and that's where we've stuck with since then, which is classic. (laughs) And it gets put in songs and stories and storybooks. Yeah, so it's been fun to kind of dive into it. They might not even have been all men. So scholar Benedict Vivino Vivino, puts forward the view that at least one of the Magi may have been a wahine. And that is because the role was often held by wahine in different societies, and they see a parallel with the journey of Queen Sheba to Solomon bringing gold and spices and other gems, I think. It may also explain some of the way they interacted with Mary. What's really interesting to me is how we accept the truth of three wise men, or even just have a picture in our mind. And it it contrasts with what is actually known or what might have happened. But in summary, we don't know a whole lot about the Magi. They could have just been quite just a few, is that gone? Or quite Arupu. They may have been either men or women, but we can tell they travelled quite a distance, likely taking them a year or two. The Magi are non Jewish people who have been watching and listening to the earth in anticipation of the arrival of Jesus. Thus, Matthew makes it very clear in his gospel that Jesus has come to a Jewish world but a significance and impact extends way beyond that as well. So that's where we start. Oh, yes, there's another picture of just different ideas, what they could have looked like. Um, do you want to go to the next slide as well, Jed? Thank you. I've ruined my pointer. It's all right. <laughs> These Tonga Toru. I guess what's really got me thinking about this part of the story is actually the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus. Before we get into that rhetorical question, but I want to sit, I want you to sit and ponder. What gifts would you take to the to celebrate the arrival? of a young toddler. Think about it for a sec. Maybe you've been to a baby shower? I don't know. Jesus is likely, as I said, likely a year or two old by the time the Magi reach him. They go to Jesus and his mother Mary in a house, no longer a stable. Still in Bethlehem. And then we're going to read the next part of the verse. So 
where we left off is, after they, Magi, heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Been looking a while, hey? (laughs) On coming to the house, they saw the child was with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I remember reading it as a kid, being like, yeah, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like, what the heck are they? Um, and I guess I've been thinking a lot about how to, like, bring this alive and connect with this story. And I even thought, you know, like, gold, do I know anyone who has a big chunk of gold that we can kind of bring and, and interact with as a community? And I'm like, I don't think we're that type of community. <laughs> I don't know anyone, at least. Um, but I think, I think it may, and some of you might have a gold ring. I think of my very small, that's how I wanted it, um, delicate wedding ring that is uh, white gold from the beaches of Aotearoa, but it, um, is the tiniest yet most valuable thing I own. And part of that is the emotional component of that. And I guess the, what we attribute to the value of gold, but then there's gold, which has never lost its value, which continues to be one of the most, yeah, persistent, valuable commodities throughout history in many different cultures. But I think in this context, so we might know it and you might interact with it as a very valuable thing. In this context, it was also a sign of rural royalty <laughs> and kingship. Um, and it is widely accepted that in offering Jesus gold, the Magi were acknowledging his role as a king. Um, and so this is a bit of a picture of what these gifts might have actually looked like. They are different than I imagined. But you've got like this... That is a hefty piece of gold. That would have been worth a lot. The next part, frankincense. I think likely the middle um, little vial, because it's an essence. Frankincense was used in the temple throughout the Old Testament. was uh, the essence on the Ark of the Covenant. It was seen as holy not necessarily appreciated for its smell. So if you can't smell it right now, that's fine. (laughs) My idea is preserved. But over here, (laughs) um, I guess we have the essence of frankincense to get a sense of of what that might smell like, what it would have been like in the temple. But often they used frankincense pretty much on every offering. It was part of the sacrifice except for the sin offerings, because they needed blood. So, frankincense is part of the sacrifice and offering given to God in the temple 
It is our worship. It is our prayer. It is the, the, the scent or the essence of what goes up in response to God. There are, I find it really interesting, there's some other properties kind of associated as well and were known about at the time. For this essence, it's also associated with healing. There's a, um, a like a pain-killing, what's the word, one kind of element to it, takes away pain. Um, it's known to circulate the blood, reduce, yeah, I said reduce pain and calm the mind which I think really fits with that picture of worship and of sacrifice to God. And an interesting, yeah, giving it to Jesus. So, and probably the strangest, so the third one, the strangest of these gifts in some ways is myrrh. Does anyone know what myrrh is for? I'll put it out there. Yeah, yeah I guess Stephen Yeah, so it's a burial spice, yeah, for anointing. Sometimes used for anointing kings. Was offered with wine before his crucifixion to Jesus. He didn't take it, but because it's a painkiller. So they came, three wise people, or two, or ten. It's still stuck in my head. Um, this Lopu of Magi um, came with these tonga, some a gold for a king, frankincense for the temple, and myrrh for burial to a baby. I'd be a little bit offended if I was a parent. No. I'm sure. That Mary and Joseph saw the, the bigger picture in this. And I guess what strikes me about these gifts as well is that the point was not that they were like super practical. There is some evidence that the frankincense could have been a healing balm even for Mary post-birth, that even maybe the gold helped them escape to Egypt when they were pursued for Jesus' life. But actually, my point kind of here today is that instead of bringing the most practical gifts for a two-year-old, that these gifts are a way of acknowledging who baby Jesus was. They are part of the worship of these wise souls from afar. The point I want to make, especially, there's these gifts have a reciprocal element to them. They are a response or an acknowledgement for the gift that Jesus was to the world. They are the gifts for the gift. That they actually reflect something of him also. And some of you may have heard this before, but I guess this is where I want to land today. And my next question what is the invitation for us in that? When we connect with this story, what does this mean for us? Gifts who are for a baby who is a king, 
a God to be worshipped who brings healing, and a baby who will die. So, first of all, the king is interesting to me. We get used to talking about Jesus as a king, but if we look at the physical elements of this story, King Herod tried to kill him, he had to run away to Egypt, and he later died horribly as he was mocked for being king of the Jews. In his earthly life, he did not wear a crown with gold, but rather with thorns. But he then rose again, reigning over death and sin, the long-awaited answer to Israel's cries for centuries for a king. Jesus as king looks not like we expect, but far greater than we imagine. Jesus' kingship doesn't often look like we want it to in the world we see and live in. It's not a colonial force or a distant monarch or even a facade of being proper. But king is ruler, someone who is con- someone connected with God and with power, able to guide and make a kingdom flourish. And this is me kind of skimming over this really big topic, obviously, of Jesus as king. But I want to pose a question to us in that. What does it look like for us to acknowledge Jesus as king? Writing out wasn't too sure of a bit cheesy, but because we're so used to this language sometimes. But there's, as you can see, a few questions I have today, and one might sit with you heavier. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want you to sit and wait with that as something lands. And it might even be, what have I expected Jesus to look like as king in my life? But what does it actually look like for Jesus to be king? The second part is frankincense. So if I relate to, and I'm drawn into the invitation of the story and of these gifts and what they show me about Jesus, and I think of frankincense. And in a sense, it's unusual to me that, he, that Jesus gets the frankincense because he's kind of what we're worshipping. Hey, like God. And it's like our job to do all the offering and the sacrifices and everything like that. We should be using the frankincense. And I, it draws me again back to that reminder, and I think Stephen spoke about it today, of the sacrifice made on our behalf of Jesus stepping into a place of being a, a worship to God comes a bit inception like this. Um, but that he draws us into worship of God, connection with him, and in so healing. That it 
And again, this, this, this is real deep to me. There's a lot to um, what this offers us. Frankincense, I um, also really use a lot as a prayer candle. I think it's something that is um, that symbolically connects with prayer and worship, as I've talked about. Um, but it changes the story when we think about Jesus participating even in that with us. That even as we pray and even as we worship God and even as we come and like bring our pain and our realness and try and look towards God, that he enables us to do that. I hope that makes And I guess ultimately the point is that he gifted relationship with us. That Jesus coming was Emmanuel, God with us. God making a way to get to him. And so therefore, frankincense is kind of this symbolic gift of God with us. God among us in part of our everyday life. So there's how do I well there's two there but anyway how do I know the gift of the God among us God among us and what is the scent of my praise and prayer again that's that one there and finally I want to get to the part that has been Wrecking me. <laughs> Myrrh. That little kind of jar, but there's this essence to it as well. And then over here, I don't know if you will smell it or not, but is the essence of myrrh. And I'd never smelled it before. And I was like, I wonder what this is like. There's a curiosity and like wanting to be a part of that story because there is such an invitation into this, I think, for us. The burial spice. And I guess what I've been thinking about is the key part of this gift that Jesus is to us is the gift of death. Feels uncomfortable. Feels what? We are transformed by having a king, by worship and prayer and healing. There's this very unique relationship way of Jesus that involves death. He, and again, when I, when I think of this, the, the, First Sunday of Advent traditionally is often about hope. <laughs> hope you're still holding that right now. Um, but I think I really want to emphasize that, that the point of why I am being wrecked and buzzing out on the gift, on the myrrh, on the gift of death, is not because that's the end, but because of the hope on the other side. And like the... And that's the unusual thing about Jesus. Not that he was a hero that died, but that he was a hero that 
died and rose again. And there's a process that we all enter into in that. And that's, that's the te araihu, the way of Jesus. That's the journey of, of knowing things in us that need to die, but also the hope that we endure that for. Randy. For me, the last few years of my life, I have walked into spaces I didn't want to and have known a, um, a lot of changes within as part of that. And what it is meaning for me, present tense, not has meant, not was meant, but present continuous, what this is meaning for me is the death of control, the de- which can also feel like the death of certainty and even stability, the death of pride, the death of the comfort of people-pleasing. It's the hardest one to die, I think. The death of fear, maybe underneath all of that, eh? We all have our different responses. Because perfect love casts out fear, and God wants us to experience life. It's a really old school phone I'm hearing right now. Love it. So, (laughs) I hope you hear me in the kind of like, meant to be a little bit confronting question we're trying to connect deeply with Jesus and his journey and his way of walking through life that he walked straight into death that he went to the cross so we would know hope and redemption and transformation and life but that's a active process that we are all part of so my final question is kind of landing on what is the death that Jesus is inviting me into What are the things in me, sometimes around me, that need to die so that he can come to life? We could do some music now if we want to. (laughs) I meant to do that a little while back, but I got into it. I was trying to be more subtle. No. Um, I want to lay this down as something just to think about and to engage with and to talk to Jesus about. If something has jumped out for you today, hope so. But I, most of all, just want us to be able to walk into the season seeking out some depth and some meaning into engaging G- deeper with Ihu Karaiti, to knowing the significance of, even if it's every year we come back, year after year, that each time there's a greater invitation there for us to meet him.
I just want to pray um, and then welcome to stay in this space or chat, kōrero more. Out there is probably better. Um, yeah. Lord God, we pray to little baby Jesus. <laughs> so we step into the season, we anticipate your arrival in our lives again. We resist letting the season pass as like a flurry of jobs to do and consuming things and stress and whatever happens with the whanau. We pause in anticipation. We come to remember baby Jesus and the incredible gift you are to us. We walk towards the invitation of you as gift, as many gifts. And God, I pray for each whanau in our community and beyond that you will meet with them in this season. That you will become more and more real to us, more and more our friend. We love you, Lord God. We adore you. We offer our lives to you again. And I pray the blessing and peace on each person here. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.